0: world, thanks for tuning in to Things You Should Care About, a brand new pop culture focused podcast where your host, myself, Tyler Haas, will take you on a journey into the past to take a look at something you should care about. It's a podcast, let me show you something cool about a movie or a song or something. This week on Things You Should Care About, I'm going to be diving deep into the classic graphic novel Watchmen. Watchmen was a big part of the comic book revival of the late 1980s. And, along with some of its contemporaries such as Mouse by Art Spiegelman and Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, proved that comic books can be held to a higher esteem than the campy, kid-oriented weeklies that preceded them. Alan Moore and his fellow authors brought comic books to the level of other great novels of the 21st century like the works of Salinger, Wallace, or Fitzgerald, and showed the world that comics can do more things than try to sell Ovaltine rings to kids, that comics can fit under the aesthetic pantheon of high art, to even create a new form of comic that had yet to be seen, the graphic novel. 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 Watchmen was originally a 12-part miniseries released through 1986 and 1987. The novel is the brainchild of acclaimed comic writer Alan Moore, Alan Moore was known for his previous work on Swamp Thing, an early DC character that he took from being a trite monster comic into a psychoanalytic gaze into the mind of sentient plant matter. With Watchmen, he sought out to create a comic that deconstructed the tropes and cliches of superhero comics. Watchmen also takes a look outward to give a critical eye at the culture and political landscape of the escalating tension that had returned to the Cold War under the Reagan administration. And with the help of artists Dave Gibbons and colorist John Higgins, he did just that. Watchmen was a commercial success that was given glowing reviews by both comic fans and readers alike. Time Magazine included Watchmen on their list of top 100 novels of the 20th century, the only graphic novel on the list. Watchmen has remained popular ever since remaining a constant seller at bookstores and comic shops around the world. It was eventually turned into a movie directed by Zack Snyder that was released in 2009, which had decent reviews and was also a financial success. So, what is it about Watchmen that people love so much? What did Alan Moore do to create such a fascinating world that seems to literally drip from the pages as you read it? Well, the answer to that is complicated, to say the least. Watchmen is a dense work, with not only hundreds of pages of densely drawn frames by Dave Gibbons. At the end of every chapter, there is also a lengthy supplemental reading from literature inside the world of the novel itself. These include Under the Hood, a memoir of the now-retired superhero Night Owl, one of the original Minutemen, the first superhero team of this universe that was founded in the 40s. The superheroes of the Watchmen universe appeared after the release of Action Comics 1, a comic that premiered a little old crime fighter named Superman. But due to the rise of actual mass crusaders into the world, sales of comics about fictional superheroes dwindled into nothing, with pirates being the proverbial dead horse that comic writers beat for 50 years. One of these in-world pirate comic series, The Black Freighter, is a dark and dreary version of pirate comics, written by an in-world comic writer, Max Shea. The Black Freighter series is known for its almost depressing takes on pirate stories, trying to reveal the real human nature that can be found within the hull of a ship it's not hard to see the similarities between the fictional comic writer Max Shay and the real-life writer Alan Moore. One of the stories from this series, Marooned, is featured several times in Watchmen, being read by a teenager next to a newsstand in New York City. This pirate comic acts not only as an allusion to the role Watchmen is playing in the real world, it also acts as a parallel to the events of the graphic novel itself. These kind of self-referential aspects are littered throughout the novel. One of the most important aspects of Moore's graphic masterpiece is his superb characters. They are the blood that pumps through the heart and soul of the graphic novel. The first character we are introduced to in the story is the deplorable Rorschach, the violent, foul-smelling crime fighter that is the scourge of the underground crime in New York, that is known for being blunt in both his lexicon and his combat. Next, we are introduced to Dr. Manhattan, the all-powerful, blue, radioactive being that has seemingly infinite control over matter and all of its components. Dr. Manhattan is the United States' personal ubermensch, being used as a penultimate nuclear deterrent during the final years of the Cold War. With Dr. Manhattan lives his girlfriend, Lori. Lori is the daughter of the Silk Spectre, another one of the original Minutemen. Lori has been dragged into the superhero lifestyle by her mother, who wished to relive her glory days through her daughter. Another important player in the story is brilliant but narcissistic Mandius, a later superhero who publicly retired in 67, announcing to the world his true identity. He has since gone on to amass an enormous amount of wealth, selling Mandius action figures, perfumes, and funded many types of research under his company, Veld Industries. He is the Elon Musk of this world, whose influence is as wide as it is world-changing. One of my favorite characters is Dan Dryberg, the second Night Owl. Inspired by the original Night Owl when he was a kid, he is a spin on the Batman archetype, using ingenious gadgets and gizmos to fight crime. He even has a dope owl-themed ship that he floats around in. While there are many more characters, probably the most important to the story is the Comedian, whose murder actually kicks off the novel. The Comedian is another one of the original Minutemen. After being on the team for a few years, he later went on to become a war hero in the Pacific Theater of World War II. He was then picked up by the U.S. military full-time, being a ruthless, Rambo-like character that they send in for really dirty retcon missions. He's like a much grittier Captain America, who relishes in the irony of the American dream rather than respecting it. The comedian, while being crude, misogynist, and hard to sympathize with, I think is one of the most interesting characters in the novel. His name comes from the fact that he has a very nihilistic view on the world, having no faith in humanity and its ability to save itself. Because of this view, he has decided that everything is a joke, and that is reflected no better way than his cheesy yellow Walmart-like smiley button that he wears all the time. The button even gets a splash of his blood when he's thrown out the window, drawing even more attention to his ironic taste and humor. The blood-covered button is probably the most iconic image from Watchmen, being on the cover of the first issue, the completed edition, and being the first image we see in the novel. The device that Moore uses more than any other in the novel is quotations of other literary works. At the end of every chapter of Watchmen, Moore quotes some sort of outside literary work that ties into the events of the chapter. The way Moore uses these quotes bring a lot of additional meaning to the chapters. Not only do you get the original meaning of the works that were put there by the original writer, you also get the addition of the extra meaning that it brings to the novel itself. These quotes range from the Book of Job from the Bible, the songs by Bob Dylan and Elvis Costello, the poems by Percy Shelley and William Blake. These provide a sense of realness to the comic, that it could very well exist in the world that we live in. In chapter 5 of Watchmen, Moore uses the poem The Tiger by William Blake to provide some extra meaning. The Tiger is a poem from 1794 that Blake wrote to discuss the dichotomy of nature. The poem and its companion poem, The Lamb, are meant to bring to question how could a fair and gracious god create something so peaceful as a lamb and something as fearful as the tiger? This can be seen on page 4 of the chapter where the line Fearful Symmetry is in bold. This is obviously supposed to highlight the panel above it with the symmetry being Rorschach's mask and fearful being the stark fear on Moloch's face. At the end of the chapter, the full quote, Tiger Tiger Burning Bright in the Forest of the Night, What a Mortal Hand or Eye Could Frame Thy Fearful Symmetry is used. The tiger in this chapter is Rorschach, with the rest of the quote asking what kind of god would have let such twisted things happen to a person that would eventually lead to Rorschach. The Burning Bright could also be a reference to the building that Rorschach set ablaze during his escape from the police. The lines about symmetry also work as a reference to the police officer's dialogue in the final frames of the chapter. Everything evens out eventually. Everything balances. The quote that exemplifies this the most is from All Along the Watchtower by Bob Dylan. What I think is really interesting about this is the parallel that you can find between Bob Dylan and Alan Moore. Both of them use their writing masterfully, be it comic or folk song, to use as a mirror to reflect on both society and the human experience, while also creating the best that that medium has to offer. Bob Dylan was considered to be at the forefront of counterculture during the 60s, drawing into question the Vietnam War, racial politics, what it means to be an American, and pushed the boundaries of what folk music could be. Alan Moore questioned the righteousness of Reagan's rekindling of the Cold War conflict, the crack epidemic that spread through the cities during the 1980s, and questioned America's stance as the world police as seen during the Korean and Vietnam Wars, all while changing the landscape of what it means to write a comic. Where it gets crazy is when you start to look at the parallel of the lines of Watchtower and the plot of Watchmen. Now, before I get into this, I do want to give a spoiler warning. I do think I can talk about this while still keeping plot points vague, but I'm going to be talking about things from all over the novel. I don't think I'm going to say anything that would detract from the experience of reading the novel, but I just want to give you the warning. The first stanza of Watchtower is... Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessmen, they drink my wine Plowmen, dig my earth None of them along the line Nobody what any of it is worth This stanza works crazy well to describe the scene in Chapter 2 where the comedian breaks into the apartment of his previous nemesis, Moloch. Moloch uh, is a guy from way back uh, during the Minutemen days. He was like a a magician-themed villain. Pretty goofy. In that scene, the comedian drunkenly breaks down and vaguely talks to Moloch about his discovery of an evil deed during one of his missions from the U.S. government. The Joker, referring to the comedian, and the thief refers to Moloch, with the lines, There's too much confusion, I can't get no relief, describing the comedian's feelings of hopelessness, from his inability to come to terms with his previous actions as a tool of war, and his disgust at the evil that he has uncovered. The quote in the novel actually comes from later, in chapter 10. Some of the words from the song are in bold, on page 1 of the chapter, that say, Two riders are approaching. This strongly correlates with the panel of Air Force One in a covering fighter jet landing at the nuclear fallout bunker. The full quote is... Outside in the distance, a wildcat did growl. Two riders were approaching, the wind began to howl. The wind began to howl really drives home the sense of approaching doom that the scene of Nixon holding the nuclear football on page 3 gives. Another way that All Along the Watchtower provides literal meaning to the end of the chapter is when Night Owl and Rorschach are approaching Ozzy Mandius's Antarctic hideout on hoverbikes. Outside in the distance, a wildcat dig growl goes along with the quote in chapter 5 of Rorschach being the tiger in The Tiger by William Blake. The next couplet, two riders were approaching and the winds begin to howl, also works because Night Al and Rorschach are quite literally riding up to the lair of Ozymandias while a snowstorm begins to pick up. These quotations are only a part of the magic that lies in Alan Moore's Watchmen. From Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy to Marvel's dark and gritty shows on Netflix and the most recent DC Cinematic Universe films, the landscape of superheroes and pop culture would not be the same. Without Watchmen, we would never have gotten 2017's Logan, one of the best on-screen portrayals of a superhero ever. Before Watchmen and Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, superheroes were seen as something for kids, something light-hearted that you would never be afraid to let your children see. Superhero comics, TV shows, and movies never took a chance to show the darker side of what being a superhero entails. They never dared to show what it took for someone to throw on a mask and kick some bad guy ass. They never dared to show the superheroes not as the perfect shining examples of patriotism and good citizenship. They never dared to show what lies underneath the cape and the cowl. A human. Hey guys, thanks a lot for listening. You can find more Things You Should Care About episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook with at I hope to have a lot more episodes coming on a wide range of topics. So please keep checking us out. Thanks for listening.